Welcome to Black and White Movies. I'm Jared. And I'm Danielle. This is where we discuss two movies that are thematically bonded to one another or have some other connective tissue that warrants examination. We are your guides through this conversation. One of us is melatonin rich, the other is melatonin deficient, and we'll leave it to you, the listener, to figure out who is who. Today we are discussing Tales from the Crypt, Demon Knight, and Tales from the Hood. So Danielle, why don't you tell us what Tales from the Crypt, Demon Knight is all about? Tales from the Crypt, Demon Knight was about a a guy who is the holder of this key and he is selected to protect the world from these demons and he ends up finding himself uh, held up in this motel where he has to protect this these citizens in some New Mexico town against these evil forces. Billy Zane's character comes in and he tries to basically kill everybody and, and, and um, get them, seduce them into uh, some sort of evil. A stranger is coming. Don't scream. And he's hungry for their souls. Just hear what I've got to say. Now, they'll need all of their courage. Like it or not, we stick together. To fight the most dangerous evil of all. Tales from the Crypt presents Demon Knight. Now available on Laserdisc and Video Cassette. Yeah, and so to compare and contrast, we watch that with uh, Tales from the Hood. Now, Tales from the Hood was released in 1995 by Universal. It was produced by Spike Lee, directed by Rusty Kundiev, and stars many good folks, but some of the names of note were uh, David Allen Greer, Paula J. Parker, and Clarence Williams III, of course, who played the creepy mortician Mr. Sims. And this was a horror anthology very close to the Tales from the Crypt show in format. And it was framed through a guided tour of a mortuary where told four tales with themes of racial and social justice taking place in ostensibly the hood. Although that seemed like a stretch to me, but I suppose these are tales that come out of the hood rather than taking place in it, maybe. Uh, we get a story of a living dead revenge copicide and a take on domestic violence some killer dolls enacting uh, justice for the history of slavery and white supremacy in our politics um, and then it all it all kind of wraps up with this uh, this character um, crazy K or some special K or something K and then it has a, a big surprise I'm not sure if we'll, we may spoil in our conversation or I not, know do we have to put spoiler alerts in yeah, our um, spoiler, bio yeah spoiler alert I would say is um, You've, you've had more than 20 years now, so go watch <laughs> Right. <movies. laughs> 25 years, I think, is ample time for you to have seen this. Let's roll, huh? In this neighborhood is a house where souls never rest. You're invited to share their secrets. I've been waiting for you, boys. You're invited to share their tales. Unless, of course, you're scared. Tales of madness. Ah! <laughs> of revenge. The dolls don't want you there. They want reparation. <laughs> of horror. He thinks he needs to kill the monster. Now, your most terrifying nightmare and your most frightening reality are about to meet. 
on the streets. Man, this is a trip, homie. I don't need nothing from no house of dead folks, okay? Death. It comes in many strange packages. The producer of Menace to Society and executive producer Spike Lee will take you to the outer limits of the inner city. Tales from the Hood. Chill. Or be chilled. Hey, man, I don't need to be hearing this, man. Written and produced by Darren Scott. Written and directed by Rusty Kunda. Maybe we should dive into right now the, the deep dive of uh, Tales from the Crypt. Well, I think Tales from the Crypt, I, we probably should have analyzed a one of the episodes from the HBO series which is where this originated from so these both came out about the same year so tells from the crypt demon night was from 1995 but the series lasted from 1989 to 1996 so this was like at the tail end of its popularity um, and so it kind of took a more of a campy version you know uh, earlier on you know when I was watching it I think I was a lot more fascinated with some of the different uh, themes and they were shorter takes. It's, it was an anthology series um, that had different takes on controversial subjects. So, you know, that the thanks for the ride lady, you know, those, some of those iconic uh, episodes that, that led up to it that are a lot more similar to what happened in tales from the hood with the smaller takes on, on conversations. Yeah. For our, for our pilot kind of first show, I think we're already breaking the premise. Like these movies aren't a one-to-one -one analog other than the name tales from the, the, uh, crypt demon night is, uh, like a long episode of the show rather than, and a horror anthology. But I think we're also breaking the premise in other ways because it was, it's black and white movies where, uh, you're thinking one of our movies is going to be for one audience, one for another. But I was surprised. I haven't seen this movie since the 90s, and I was surprised kind of how much I didn't find problematic about it and actually enjoyed it. Like, I thought um, it was really the um, representation and some of the performances and actors in it were were kind of responsible. Like, I loved seeing Jada uh, Pinkett Smith, or Jada Pinkett at this point, um, uh, in this movie. And she uh, turns into the protagonist about halfway through, which I loved. Well, you know, and that goes, but see, now I'm coming from a different, I'm coming from a different point of view. I thought it was cool that she comes becomes a protagonist and, and is ultimately the hero or heroine. Um, but there were a lot of things and themes in terms of um, black culture that are uh, things that we can't get, those are stereotypes that are being reinforced that a lot of people in the mainstream or main culture, culture don't really understand. So as if you look at the hotel owner, right? You go to her CC Pounder or CH Pounder character and she comes up and she's saving mm -hmm. somebody she's protecting um that's typically a, a male uh thing to do but black women have been traditionally um, expected to be these heroines and, and to be protectors of of our 
our children, you know? And so to me, it was just kind of like running along a theme of, you know, strong black woman and there's no black men around in sight in this whole entire yeah, movie, Yeah, right? But um, it was cool to see two black women because usually if you see one, I feel like the producers are checking a box. And it was cool to see two and I, neither, neither, and I felt either of them could have been replaced with almost any actor, like any of any race. Like if you put in a, a white actor, it would have worked. Um, yeah, so I think that's what kind of impressed me and uh, Irene and uh, the character and also um, the character Geraldine were both very interesting characters. Who who, thought, who the hell's name is Geraldine? Um, is that not a real name? Have you ever met anybody named Geraldine? No, but what I don't, the hell kind of name is that? I though? don't run in interesting circles. That was a weird name. OK, so so. Maybe we need to look at who wrote the movie, or maybe what yeah. Were they? Well, I'm pretty sure it wasn't anybody black. Um, yeah, yeah. But I'm I'm just saying it, it's fine. Yeah. But no, that's not a real name. No. <laughs> and it, it's it, it's such not a real name that it stood out to like whose name whose name is that? This young person's name is Gerald Line. Look, I, what? I almost don't know how to say it back. Like my feel like my memory's failing me. Is it Geraldine? Geraldine. Ger Geraldine. But yeah, I, I don't it know. worked for me. She. Uh, Jada Pinkett can be Jerry Jerry Lean, and or she could have just been Jada, really, right? Yeah, but but I loved I loved her character because you know she's almost in the background in the beginning, um, and then as you are, um, I I gotta say just briefly I love I love horny Billy Zane who's who's he was sexy everyone's brains and then she's the only one who he can't get a hold of uh, through his te telepathic demeanor i did like power. that they did try and allude to the fact that um the frank character had some sort of he drew he was drawn to her immediately yeah. and you think it's going to be in some sort of physical manner or something like that but it it was uh, a for precursor to show that she was a chosen one and that you know it kind of like uh, broke with type in that way to where it showed that she was actually you know the chosen one as yeah. opposed to like he was like mm, give me some of that yeah you know yeah, what i mean I, I like that expect a typical kind of love interest that's where it's going but yeah it, it turned into something else obviously where in the end we see her become the next kind of guardian of this key which in itself um just to take a moment that the whole key thing is an obvious MacGuffin is kind of ridiculous but I like that they're putting putting a, a little Jesus in this movie and making biblical ties and I thought that was a, a far stretch um for a Tales from the Hood or Tales from the Crypt movie I mean I get it it was probably you know I'm not a big graphic novel uh, connoisseur so it probably was a direct take from the actual graphic novel itself it looked like they were trying to Im implement parts of the book within the within the context of the film so it leads me to believe and i probably should have done my research a little bit more that they took that directly from in a series of, from the 1950s novel and so uh for them to go that far for such a campy movie <laughs> i just felt like Okay, I mean, you know, hey, uh, you know, the devil is a liar because that was that was actually a theme in the movie, right? Like the devil will tell you anything that you or excuse me, uh, the demon or the evil spirits will seduce you with whatever it is that you uh, desire to get you to 
come over to their side. You know, when you say the devil's a liar, that's absolutely what I loved is that he was having this telepathic um, sex orgy with everyone, except for maybe, I don't think uh, Thomas Hayden Church, I don't remember if um, his character had the telepathy with him. He just was a shithead who got his comeuppance and wanted to sell, <laughs> steal and sell the key. And the de- and uh, uh, Billy Zane there j- just uh, called his demons upon him after, said he's a liar. Okay, um, wait, sidebar. I got to do a little sidebar because I can't with my nerd, nerd knowledge. Um, Tombstone, we have three people who are in Tombstone, uh, probably the same year, right? Okay, yeah. Who, who, Hayden Church, okay. uh, the Frank character. Of course, I don't know these names because I suck. Um, and Billy Zane. Yes, yes. So all three yeah. of them were in Tombstone um, at the same time. I thought that was fascinating. It was one of my favorite mm-hmm. movies. And if I, I can't get over Thomas Hayden Church myself because when I see him, I just think uh, Wings and and uh, the, the <laughs> Wino movie, the side, Sideways. And him, like, sl- slapping a woman in the face, as horrible as that is, it's ridiculous to see him as kind of like the alpha jerk-ass uh, dick guy. I can I just look at his face and I can't believe him. He's too much of a. I'm well, a, what's I, super hilarious about it too, though? Think about it. Remember, we're in the Me Too era now, right? Mm-hmm. But think about that time frame and how misogynistic this is. Yes, like, yes. I, you know, I'm okay with a bitch getting slapped every now and then yeah. because. You know, hey, time and place, right? It just literally, but and vice versa. I'm okay with it. Mm-hmm. I think that it's still sometimes it's In a little a movie, too neat. No, no, no. Yeah, not you know, you slap me, I'm going to jail. But yeah. that's a whole nother day. So I'm just saying to watch it. Yes. You know, you're in a different era. Yes. And um, no, I'm of course I'm not authorizing the purchase. I, I agree, of, but coming uh, from his character, it was just like no, not realistic. But I, I would appreciate too that um, he was uh, of course slapping. Let me look her character uh, character up here. Was it Cordelia? Who I just um, it, she it was she was a uh, sex worker. But I thought that they kind of handled that character responsibly too. Like she wasn't. Are you serious? Uh, she wasn't a well. She wasn't a bimboish, which you thought. If she didn't act in any way where you think she got what she deserved. She was at her the heart of her character was a good person. Um, the whore with the heart of gold. Yeah, okay. I don't it think be, so. It might be a trope, but yeah, I, like come I, on. I, whatever. It this was, Disney pretty the, woman thing. No, we're not doing I that. I thought the performance was good, and um, and for for a movie like this, I thought in general. It, was emblematic of they handled the characters. They made choices that weren't the dumbest choice you can make with each and every character. I will say that this movie did improve as it went along. It was super corny uh, in the beginning, and then you know, kind of midway through, you know, it it goes into the point of the story. The point of the the key is revealed and and how it started. Um, so I think it starts to take a a little bit of a journey. So I think a lot of horror films, which you know. Uh, do that sometimes mm-hmm. so it takes a little while for you to get invested in the characters and what's going on and then it goes up. It, it ramped up for me so can we can we talk about Billy Zane though how horny were you for Billy Zane okay so was, Billy Zane was everything oh movie. my gosh uh Billy Zane I could put him right in my pocket um he was he, he he's listen I, I don't typically go that way but you know what Billy Zane was you know 
He's he's everything. I was never and, a Zane guy myself, but I was I was dripping for him. In this <laughs> yeah, time. wasn't he? Because like when he was all at the window, right? He had the soft light oh, and everything. Yeah. He was yeah. everything. Yes. Um, but no, I totally love Billy Zane. I always have. Like, but how 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 about when the sponge came out of his mouth? Because when that sponge flips out of his <laughs> mouth, I was like, what? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what the inspiration was for that, but it was brilliant. Well, you know, well, I'll take that moment. I'll take. I'll tell you what the inspiration, because they say they say, and and people who are religious believe that you know people think of this like horny with big horns and evil skin as 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 demon or demonic, but the the devil or whatever was a seducer. Mm-hmm. He was beautiful. He he had the most beautiful voice, and so. How easy is it to, you know, you can easily fall for those eyes if you're looking at Billy Zane as opposed to somebody you're going to run from somebody who is scary and and, and red and, you know, has bat wings. And his his character of the collector, he changed his script depending on who he was trying to seduce. So like, which um, we have to mention um, Uncle the Uncle Willie character played by Dick Miller who passed earlier this year. Who's all he's always delightful to see in anything, and uh, Billy Zane, his character really changed a lot when he was seducing him because he just wanted to seduce him with like some corny ass grandpa bar or something like a, <laughs> a bar you can go to and uh, hang out with you know women and I forget was he shooting pool or something like that. It was just a, a yeah, it was just t- like yeah, yeah, yeah TNA yeah, all yeah. all through it. But he he told. First of all, let's start with the fact that he never aged. Um, Cause wasn't he like old the entire time, like of his career? Yeah, yeah Dick Miller. Yeah. Yeah, he seemed to. When I saw him in this, I was like, gosh, I feel like I saw him in a movie before he died that he looked exactly the same. I was really shocked when they go back to Jesus times and they show you then they show you the war and how it gets passed and then uh, the whole turn where we learn what the key is. Um, and he's putting the the Jesus blood or that or the blood that gets passed down onto the doors and windows to protect him. Uh, and then when it gets passed on to uh, Jada Pinkett, how do you feel about um, that? Did that shock you? That kind of um, reveal when that happened? Because I I loved that reveal, um, and I loved when they they passed that on. And then what happened next when she meets kind of the next collector? Yes, I loved I loved it when she decided to take a different step than he did. So she wasn't trying to go run and rush to seal doors and windows that she bathed herself in the blood. And she was like, I got something for that ass. You can come and get me if you want to. And so I thought that was really, really unique that you don't see all the time was uh, somebody picking up and taking the torch and running in a different direction and zigzagging as opposed to running straight through and following along with the same the same strategy, which clearly didn't work. Right. Absolutely right. He was like, let's lock it down and hide in a closet and we'll get through this night. And that she's so fierce when she just comes out soaked in blood. And it's as cheesy as and some of the effects are in this, which is kind of delightful. That was actually really effective and kind of realistic. And I love that it went there for the final act and she tries to take him on. Yeah, I I, I was I was impressed. That's why I said it kind of ramped up. And uh, whereas you're like, oh, my gosh, these corny little zombies running through the windows looking like the Crypt Keeper. Um, And then uh, it goes into like less of that and more of the let's let's 
get the seduction of Billy Zane's character. Let's 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 see how we can fight evil. Yeah. Um, which I think we're all trying to do anyway, right? Uh, thoughts about this movie? I think we both like. Well, it. I think I I didn't like it. You didn't like it? No. Oh, I thought you liked this movie. No, I like the series. I love the series. So you prefer the series where it's. Um, did this f- kind of feel like a drawn-out episode of the series? Too? Yes, and it, I could take it in a chunk like the series uh, calls for. So I think this is the perfect example of when you take uh, a vignette and expand it and, and make it go on too long. Mm-hmm. So they could have got down to the point really quickly, in my opinion. So I... I appreciated the series just because of the fact, number one, I, I always loved, you know, this was when it was appointment TV time mm-hmm. when I was a kid, right? So you had to be there on Saturday night to watch Tales from the Crypt. You knew you were gonna get three stories to fill you up until the next week. So this one was kind of disappointing where you're like, okay, I'm ready for this to be over if you're gonna be in this type of format and I wanna see the next story. and. You know, so for me, I just felt like it was a little too drawn out. I did not like the movie version. I love the series, so I watched it, and I've seen this a couple of times. Um, but for me, uh, no. Well, I'll I play um, devil's advocate, or we'll say Billy Zane's advocate, and uh, I, I like <laughs> I because the series is there, and that's great if you want to watch um, bite sized. But I liked seeing a longer uh, story bookended by fun little scenes of um, the Crypt Keeper gone Hollywood. Um, but I will say I did do a little research on this, and I did, uh, what I from what I read, this was um, intended to be a trilogy in which the key would play a part in each movie. So there was supposed to be some connective tissue between them. Um, so I think if that had played out, there was uh, the bordello of blood that came out after this, but it didn't really tie into it. So I think it, we would be dealing with something maybe a little more special if it kind of We probably would. That, I agree. That whole, that but whole we arc. weren't. We're not. They, they left it. And even though they left it open-ended and, uh, you know, the black guy never got his little shine at the end, so, but... You know, he was ready Mm -hmm. to come and Billy Zane it up, right? Um, But, you know, it's fine. Time and place. So, yeah, I teach his own. Yeah, and so uh, before we move on to the next movie, uh, a question that popped into my head is, what do you think the the Crypt Keeper, what do you think he was like before he was deceased? Well, what did he... Annoying. An annoying guy? (laughs) Like, what kind of... But I think that laugh came with the rigor mortis about what was he. In oh, his, so you think his was laugh he, was more like. <laughs> like, yeah, what was he when he was a living, just a living guy? Interesting. Huh. Maybe. Well, the first reason. Well, first question is, how did he die? Right. Yeah. So maybe yeah. he because why are you doomed to forever tell these scary stories? Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. The question was a question. I don't have an answer for you. We'll but I'll think else. about that. We'll marinate that. Are we ready to talk here about um, Tales from the Hood? Tales from the Hood. Cult classic. Yeah. Cult classic. And it was great to watch this movie again. I hadn't seen it since the 90s. And actually, my introduction to this movie was the soundtrack, which I absolutely loved. Then I was like, well, I better watch the movie since I like all these songs. Uh, most of them aren't in the movie. But I I love that this movie holds up. Inspired also. by. Yeah, this movie really, I think, holds up um, in, in some ways. In other ways, not so much. But... Um, um, it is more a true anthology story like what you were looking for with 
Tales from the Crypt. So I'll, um, maybe we'll talk a little about each story here, but what's your overall impression of the movie? I think the first thing that I want to dive into about the movie is not really about the movie at all, but about the fact that a whole entire movie has to be made because in a, even in a show that's as, as expansive as Tales from the Crypt, that there weren't any stories that related to people that were other than the mainstream, which we know what that means. Yeah, so you're saying any of these vignettes within Tales from the Hood could have been an episode of Tales from the Crypt. Any, any day, right? But because uh, we're not as... as Oh, in Hollywood, it's not the thing to do. So like they think that black stories are just black stories and only black people care about hearing about them or, you know, Asian stories or whatever the case may be, or Bollywood is over there. But I think that we live in a world, maybe we're in a bubble because we're in California, um, that we see other people all the time. And easily, very easily, if you're going to do an anthology series, why not include all of the people that represent this well, I, I totally agree, and but that that's that kind of works to Tales from the Hood's benefit because they had this these whole types of stories that hadn't been told. So each one um, is so each vignette is so impactful, like uh, the themes they deal with. Some of these stories we've seen killer doll stories, we've seen um, uh, Return from the Dead stories, but because they all were married um, to to their different uh, themes, it was a whole new approach that really. Um, I think they all have something to say even now, uh, more than 20 years later, we're still obviously dealing with uh, police killing black people. So the first story where um, a uh, Professor Morehouse gets killed and a cop uh, protests that and falls into depression, which precipitates um, a back from the dead revenge story of killing cops. It's in today in 2019 it's just as uh it has the same exact message and just as impactful as it was back then yeah i wrote down the themes of uh tales from the hood and uh this could read today which is actually pretty fucked up when you think about it because nothing has changed in 25 years or however long uh it's been since this movie has happened so if you are still in guilt if you're still dealing with matters of police corruption, police brutality, white supremacy, child abuse, uh, you know, reparations, gang banging, drug dealing, drug abuse. Um, either uh, we're fools for thinking that things will ever change um, and we need, we need not bother to fix them or somebody is pulling our, our coats and tricking us into believing that these things can change, right? So I don't know. I I just think that um, you know, it, it is it it. I find it really offensive that black stories a lot of times have to deal with such heavy subject matters, even though it's light. It wasn't you know totally heavy. Clarence, oh, no. it was funny. It was entertaining. It was super entertaining. Um, and so they dealt with it in a really uh, fascinating, fun way. I love Tales from the Hood uh, just as a sidebar. So I'll start there. Did not like Demon Knight. Love Tales from the Hood. It sounded like you liked Demon Knight till the end there, but. Well, that's interesting, right? I can appreciate a movie. Okay. Um, I, I didn't like Demon Knight. Because I like the series. Had I never seen the series, I might have liked Demon Knight. Okay, gotcha. You got it? Okay. 
So anyway, the point being, I love Tales from the Hood, but it was time and place. You yeah. know what I mean? Well, who's the? Uh, let me ask you this: Who's the audience for this movie? Because I liked it in '95, and I, the funny thing is, is um, I was dumber and younger then. Um, but I didn't. None of the the, the social themes jumped out at me i don't remember them jumping out at me when i was a kid i just really the movies, you think the horror um and and but now as older and living in 2019 to me they were all apparent not to say they were on the nose or anything but it was just so refreshing to see that they that they were front forward in the in the facing out as the themes of each little story so this goes back to why we're doing this in the first place right um, I don't mind saying you're a little younger than me and um, you're a little paler than me. A little. And, and, and so it probably didn't jump out to you when we saw this. Uh, I, it was my first year of college. And um, when I saw that, it was very poignant to have a horror film tackle uh, those themes in a manner that was very close. So let's think about it, right? What happened during that time? So this was the Clinton era, mm -hmm. or right after, and uh, right after his election. And so um, you're dealing with things like, you know, the creation of Biden's law. Mm -hmm. you're, you're dealing with the things of Rodney King. You're dealing with an era that has come from Latasha Harland. And, you're, you know, a lot of things that are happening, particularly in L.A. This was L.A. based, right? Yes. So you had gang, bang, gang bangers, gang violence. And so coming from L.A., coming from this era, it was very uh, specific to a reality that I understood. You're coming from the Bay Area and, you know, people are coming from other sides of the town. Yes. And so it doesn't have that kind of connectivity. So it was very close, but we loved it because it was so very poignant in terms of it was so fun in terms of seeing uh, Clarence Williams, you know, the shit. Yeah, he's, he was, he he's was a so lot more enjoyable to watch than the Crypt Keeper say. He was absolutely, especially towards the end. I couldn't get enough of uh, <laughs> of him there. Clarence Williams the third was the shit bomb diggity. Yeah, more Mr. Sims. So yeah, so did um, did any particular story stand out to you? Because I thought they all kind of had their strengths and weaknesses. Um, but what struck me is like this to me was as much speaking to a critique of like the white supremacist culture but also there was like some self-critique i felt to like black people as well um what did you think of that well i think i think there's always i mean unfortunately there's always going to be respectability pro um respectability uh projections in a, in a film like this because of the subject matter so it, it ends up being very polarizing in, in, in many ways, whereas, you know, um, in the black community, um, traditionally, whether you are a mayor or whoever, you live right next door to the gangbanger. That's just how it is because there just aren't so many people, right? And so there's, there's nuances that doesn't matter. So within families, you have a certain dynamic that is um, really married together. So, I thought that it dealt with themes 
very interesting like you said it did it did definitely try and point out like hey this shit is not great you know don't do that i thought i thought one of the ones the story that i found to be the most universal i guess was the monster um yeah, that's the story and the child abuse yeah. i thought that was uh, a very you know very good take on how child abuse um how children deal with it internalize it and what it looks like it reminds me of the movie monsters actually the the disney pixar film believe it or not maybe they stole it i don't know yeah monsters inc yes yeah. uh very similar uh same thing with imaginary friends so drop dead fred yeah you know very similar in yeah. that way um to just how people deal with trauma yeah. and um so i thought that was very poignant very universal um, which again goes back to the fact that that could easily have been thrown into an episode of the original version. Yes. Right. Of, of um, Tales from the Crypt. Yes. Yeah. And to me, that's the exact story I was thinking of. It seemed the most, although I liked it, it seemed the most off premise uh, because everyone it didn't read as hood to me stereotypically. Everyone seemed upper middle class. Everyone seemed, uh, or in, by today's standards, rich even. Um, as, right. With these. Uh, <laughs> Yes. Craftsman homes. Like, who the fuck lives in a craftsman home? Yeah, so it's a, it's a universal uh, story, but it seemed a little off-premise. That said, it, it just made me say, like, okay, what are they uh, trying to say about this? Uh, what are they trying to say about what happens within the black community yeah, a, and within households? Yeah, so you have this that, yeah, The audience dynamic. was for, like, um, a black audience more so than a white audience, which I think was super refreshing, for one. Um, I don't think it's off-premise, going back to what I said was that you have everybody just like anywhere else, right? So in the hood just means um, the hood where we live at. It's, it's the house. That's where the crib is, right? Yeah. So it doesn't matter whether you're upper middle class or lower middle class or a combination exactly. of the two. If you're in the black community, you, you're poor because that's just thank you um, to the institution of slavery that don't get me going down and this like, road um, and like uh two short said money in the ghetto ain't nothing new there you go and um <laughs> and also out of the hood was when we spent some time in the governor's or would-be governor's mansion yes. in the uh in the story with the analog for david duke played um i want to say wonderfully but played well, played uh, well. Uh, specifically evilly by um corbin bernson and that was talking specifically about the legacy of slavery where he's being tortured or he's being his life is threatened by some uh dolls coming to life that were dolls of almost uh Niglets. yeah that is what i was going to ask you i was going to say <laughs> uh danielle could you tell us what the listener <laughs> what, uh, the duke calls these little dolls he kept calling them little niglets which was hilarious okay so let in all full disclosure i will honestly tell you that when we were kids that was the probably the segment that we didn't like the i liked the least you but as an adult I understand it a lot more. Yeah. I didn't understand it, and I was—I I actually I, re I remember skipping it yes. several times as you know when we were younger, when we were and kids. How offensive is it that I couldn't help myself from laughing when Corbin Burnson tears down the hall, screaming that word at them? Okay, that shit was hilarious. Are you kidding me? Listen, everybody needs to stop with this politically correctness when he 
between Clarence, excuse me, Mr. Sims and the shits <laughs> and Corbin Burns with these little nigglets. Oh, hell, that was hilarious. Are you kidding me? Knock it off. Everybody needs to like raise up. And I thought it was funny. And what I loved about this particular story was unlike the Democratic debates, they were not afraid to use the word reparations in there. And I loved right. the um, the old farmer character, uh, Eli was his name, saying they want reparations, which seemed, you know, very coded to me. He was obviously talking to me. They could have used the word revenge, but he said reparations. So I immediately thought that was great. And then Corbin brings Bernson brings it back where here's this politician screaming to the face of um, black people, no reparations, no reparations. And this was 1995, and we're barely being able to talk about reparations now, so I just liked that. But look at, I mean, look at this, though. So you, you pointed out a very, very interesting point. Think about this. You can barely say the word black. It has to be people of color, uh, diversity, um, you can't say anything that is specific to black people, which I find to be ridiculous and offensive um, because none of uh, these advancements, this whole shit right here, this whole beautiful place wouldn't exist without the legacy of slavery. Yes, yeah. And so for me, I, I found it to be refreshing. That's why I said for me, it just uh, that particular segment um, rang true. But it goes back to what we we're talking about in initially. Let's let's go ahead and start to look at who made this, right? So we're talking Spike Lee. Mm -hmm. We're talking Darren Scott. This is a black producer, um, which um, I actually went to one of his directing workshops one one year. He was uh, great in helping in that way. You have um, black directors, and you have people who are come from a particular place who aren't afraid, you know, to approach those subject matters head on. So I think that, you know, a lot of times if other people are writing for you and you get names like Geraldine, Geraldine, <laughs> um, you know, you're, because <laughs> that sounds black to them, you Literally know what I'm saying? Black sounding right? Yeah, okay. <laughs> like, you know, whatever the hell, then you're not going to get that kind of honesty. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the lesson is if you give right-minded people some money and power to make a movie, you might get these interesting um, injections of Honesties. truth and honest yeah. takes into your movies. Do we want to talk about the, the Crazy K segment, kind of like the last segment that uh, rounds things out? Did, yeah. did that, that uh, part of the movie really affected me? I want to know how you felt about it. <sighs> So this is this is probably the part that I said was the most specific to L.A. Um, gang culture, gang violence was at its height. It was probably on its downslope at that time. And and a lot of murders, a lot of death. Um, I grew up with a lot of pe losing friends, um, schoolmates uh, during this time. And so to for it to show so intentionally uh, the cross between um, how things are, are have progressed over time and have they how they haven't changed remember mm -hmm. we just sat here and talked about this movie is 20 25 years old yes. and we're still talking about the same themes it's a very interesting take to say you know what there's going to always be a special k 
Mm-hmm. Whatever the hell is Crazy K. Is. Crazy K. <laughs> it's a special K. Great cereal. Crazy no, K. good cereal. <laughs> uh, there's always going to be that type of character. And there's going to always be this type of rift. It's, you know, we, we live in, as human beings. We, li- we thrive on good guys and bad guys. Yes. Um, but that particular segment for me is uh, why we don't have, and I'm, I, I have to kind of put this a little bit, I have to reference a newer movie from the Joker, which is why we don't have a black Joker. Mm-hmm. Because that's too scary. Right. Because think about it. If you allow the anger of a gangbanger or somebody who's been disenfranchised um, to uh, become popularized or to be acknowledged, Mm -hmm. then you start to have a problem. And then you do have to have the conversation as far as, okay, wait, you can't just in one swoop just dismiss um, gang violence and gang culture without addressing the reason why it exists. Yes. Yeah. Right? So for me, that that's probably was, um, it, it was a hard, it was, it made it a little bit more serious. Yeah. Kind of how Demon Knight yes. made that harsh turn. It took a little bit longer to get there. Um, but when it took a harsh turn, I think that one was, that one stands out to me as the most uh, out of, character of the tales from the ser- tales from the crypt type yes than the others yeah it did it felt like that could have been a whole movie to yes. me uh because you didn't really get i could have used more backstory on all the characters in it um but the what was powerful to me is first that when he's in the cage and he's confronted by the the Nazi the or the KKK guy, total white supremacist guy. But what really affected me was when he they'd have the moment that's similar to Clockwork Orange, but even more badass because they're spinning him in circles while, he, while they're showing him <laughs> these images of um, contrasting of lynchings, um, uh, white supremacist killings of black people, but then with gang violence. Now, I don't really know how to feel about this sequence because I, uh, I, I found it very righteous that they were showing the one kind of violence. Like the, the white audience uh, needs to see that stuff out there of the lynchings and stuff, especially when the camera uh, pans to the white girl laughing at the black man hanging. But I thought, it, I don't, I'm going to say I disagree though with that. It seemed like they're making a false equivalency of gang violence to. Um, white supremacist violence. I don't think they're an equivalent thing. I think it warrants a much broader discussion, and that's one reason I thought that could have been a longer sequence. But even um, having that tension for me and not necessarily agreeing with it, I still think the sequence as a whole was very effective. I think violence, uh, Malcolm X said it so eloquently one time, and he spoke about violence in general and how violence is typically looked at when it's okay when it's in the context of war, right? But when it's in the, con- or in the context of um, America protecting itself. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to the context of someone else committing it, now it's terrorism, or now it's um, some sort of you know uh, militia, or 
or you know some sort of difference i don't i don't think you can separate violence violence is violence right and so i I agree with you in terms of it's not an, an an direct equivalent um but at the same time you know when you look at this particular segment of the movie i think the part that was hardest for me uh was it was there was no redemption Mm -hmm. so you're not looking at something it was expository i guess is the word i don't know if that's the word but it was just for exposition as opposed to corrective and i don't know if if the filmmakers have any responsibility to correct anything yes but um if you're going to show something as 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 harsh as that you know it has to have some, I, th- I guess the redemption would be that they die at the end right so yes. you died yeah. Yeah. um but i don't know if that's a fix um it's it's kind of what he said is basically that the cycle continues yeah so you you killed him but then their homeboys came and killed you implying that whoever killed you was probably going to kill the next person and then that cycle continues so i think it's just kind of like a a a mirror yeah yeah more than anything yeah and that's well said and i i just think that um for me i look at the the gang violence as a symptom of white supremacy as much as the lynchings are so it's the, the message came to me as a little harsh, but it's just overall is this movie to me is saying a lot more than the genre would demand it says. And it's speaking, it's definitely giving a critique out there that white people need to hear. Um, but I really appreciate that it knew its audience. It was a movie made for uh, black people and it, and it wanted to not just be a hell yeah, let's watch cops get killed justifiably, but it's also giving some self critique and and you alluded to the kind of twist ending. So like, let's just say it loud. What happened after? Um, when he found the crazy, shit. <laughs> what happened after we see after we see Crazy K's redemption kind of fail? What's the reveal and what happens? Oh, so we finally get to the shit. You'll get the shit. You'll be. Knee deep. And so Clarence, excuse me, Mr. Mims. Mr. Sims, yeah. Mr. Sims, Mr. right? I'm just messing it all up, right? <laughs> first of all, I'm not on it's the right. first There's name basis. There's a lot of characters to track in yeah, this Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. So when we finally do get to the reveal, um, we have the mortician taking the gentleman who have come to collect on the um, the drugs that they think they're coming yes. to get, and he finally <laughs> reveals that they are here. Here is your here here is the drugs that I was able to load up into these three caskets, and so in very dramatic form, these three gentlemen reveal themselves. Have they found themselves? laying there within the caskets they are dead yeah and their spirits have come to hell yeah they've been uh, collected by they have been collected yes and um so a very interesting uh reveal at the end there i don't know what it means 
Well, it, it, it's a very horror ending, too. But It is. And those three characters, to me, even though they are kind of the, the hook around the whole movie, they are the weakest characters, and they start and end the movie. We see them bur- literally burn in hell. But they, to me, were like caricatures that if a white person had written this movie, those are the characters they would have ri- written. I think intentionally yeah. so, right? Yeah. Um, and that goes back to something I wanted to say, which is I think, I think black people are really tired of of teaching white people um, about us. We've been here 400 years. Um, It's time for you to read a book too. Like we take white history, you call it just history. Um, It's time, black and white history is the same on on this planet. And so, you know, for me to say, um, hey, this is how we are, I shouldn't be responsible for for telling anybody that. And especially people who've been here as long as I have. So I didn't get here by myself. And so you have the same responsibility to your brother, which is me and you, right? We're we're brother and sister here on this um in this American so-called American experience. And so I think this movie and, and movies like this have to find a way to creatively somehow entertain people into thinking a little bit further beyond the con the actual content and look at the context and so those three characters being so stereotypical was to kind of point out how ridiculous they were yeah and um the only the only other thought i wrote down is if i zoomed out and looked at these movies together um is I was in, I was thinking about um, uh, Jordan Peele and Get Out and Us, and I remember when Get Out came out, and they were like, "Oh, finally, um, a black horror movie!" And isn't it great? And then this movie kind of flies in the face of that. Is that you had this 1995, you had this great black horror movie, but then even Demon Knight got me thinking about another movie where you have um, people in, locked in a house under siege. Uh, from monsters and I thought of Night of the Living Dead we had which was if you look at that that is a black horror movie it was made by white people but um, so what do you think about the horror genre in general we um, now have a we now have a Tales from the Hood 2 that we could watch on Netflix and I also just re-watched Candyman so I think what do you think <laughs> about um, black horror movies okay so well in full disclosure because I believe in being honest I started to become a filmmaker to make horror films. Nobody will let Excellent. me. Please, uh, let me make a movie. I will show you how it's done. I absolutely love horror. I love the horror genre more so, more than horror, I love suspense. Um, and I love thrillers. So I think um, that that is something that it is seen that black people and black women in particular don't, aren't drawn to which is completely false. Uh, We love the genre just like everybody else. Um, But yeah, I think that there are, it's it's sadly lacking. I've written uh, a couple of horror films uh, that some do have a very political, you know, or, you know, black slant to them. Um, But most of them are just, you know, for the sake of the genre. You know what I mean? So I think that it's something that is lacking because they can't put you in their little box. So uh, if you look at 
the streaming services, they only want to deal with things that particularly um, reach an audience. And so since that audience hasn't been tried, they don't want to go outside of the box to find out whether or not, you know, that is something that will connect. It's only when something catches fire, you know, like a Jordan Peele, excuse me, with his uh, Get Out or um, we, I'll leave commentary for those two films for another day, way, way, way down the line. Um, But um, I think that when when those things catch fire, then all of a sudden, like, oh, black people were into horror. Like, yeah, uh, yeah, we've been into horror. (laughs) Nightmare on Elm Street, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like, we like it just like y'all did. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, I don't think it's anything new. I think it's just new to them. Yeah, so someone give Danielle here some money because she's ready to yeah, make Yeah, give the me next, a couple of dollars. Uh, Throw me some change. Or even, even better. So uh, what are your uh, final takes on, on Tales from the Hood? Um, I will totally watch this again. Uh, yeah, I, I just, you know, I think it was a good, I think it was a good reflection for the time, for the era. It is definitely specific to an era, um, but I, I I enjoyed it, um, and I still enjoyed it watching it again in 2019 as I did in 1995. So, so yeah, some of the I, it's a f- fun watch. It is funny. Uh, it's entertaining. Some of the effects are delightful to watch. Both of these movies had mostly practical effects. That, as far as I can oh, tell, oh, that cheesy burning and, in hell was the best though. Wasn't yeah, I, it? I loved it. And when David Allen Greer's body's getting folded up, and so <laughs> it's yes. it, it was all very effective. I'll say the one thing that wasn't so effective was for some reason the sound editing in this movie is <laughs> god awful. Like anytime there's a punch, it just sounds like <laughs> wet meat slapping the right. wall. But you, can, you can especially tell in the scene where David Allen Greer is kind of fist fighting the teacher, and <laughs> and you you get these demon no the blood the, no. Did you see the the super red candy apple red blood? I yeah. was like, what is this? Yeah. yeah. So they if y'all don't throw some uh, magenta number nine in there or something. <laughs> they I can't. A, a little little bit more budget in those regards, but ultimately, uh, it seems like we both love this movie. Yeah. And uh, zooming out, uh, any? How do you see this movie compared, stacked up against Demon Knight? Um, well, I think it's not fair. I think that's not a fair assessment to because it was an homage to the series directly. So if I were going to compare the movie, I would compare it to the series. And I thought it was a good homage to the um, the original graphic novel as well as the series Tales from the Crypt itself. Um, and, and, and let's not forget to give our shout outs to Elvira and um, as well as... Uh, Twilight Zone, mm-hmm. which were also some all of my these, favorite tales. Yeah. What was it? Tales from the Dark Side. Yeah, all these you great know, anthology series series that uh, led up to this. So I think it was a combination, a great culmination of all of those things. Um, Demon Knight being probably my least favorite of all of these, but I, I respectfully say I get it. I I I love both these movies. I will say I think uh, Tales from the Hood is the more effective better movie if I'm up against the wall but I agreed with your original analysis that it'd be great if we lived in a world where all of these stories within um, Tales from the Hood could have been stories in a Tales from the Crypt wouldn't that be dope yeah oh so let's talk about that real quick before we get out of here Um, there was a reboot in the making 
uh, M. Night Shyamala was going to take it on. Uh, it was rumored for the last three years, but it got kind of dead on arrival last year. So I come to find out that it's not going to happen. But I think it would be really good to combine mm-hmm. um, and update it with a combination of movies from all aspects. Yeah. Right? So, so culturally uh, aware. A more representative Tales from the Crypt. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that'd be that'd be even better to see than say just a straight Tales from the Hood show. Is if we could have a that horror anthology show that everyone was invited into the tent for, kind of absolutely, and that reflective in the there should be writers and directors that and not just um, some sort of represent not just some tip of the hat to representation, but actually have everyone behind the scenes be very diverse. So you get these. Uh, stories that speak to all of us and represent all of us. What do you think is the wokest and the wackest movies? <laughs> you first. Well, I think um, I think Tales from the Hood is the obvious in the wokest. It is uh, deals with themes um, of, of social justice, racial justice, r- dead on, and so it's obviously the, a woke movie. No arguments there however i have to tip the hat to demon knight because it does the flavor of woke that i really like which is representative and without being obvious it's not you see so much content these days where they put in the obvious transgender character or black female and you still have a a white person writing it or it's just it seems like it's there because it's trendy and i appreciated that with demon knight you get these characters that them um being black isn't all that there is to their character there's so much more behind it so just uh to fit our our format, I'll say Demon Knight was the wackest, but I think these are both enjoyable. The wokest. I enj- De- Demon Knight, I'm saying. Oh. Is the, it was the wackest. The wackest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Are, but it's still a, a woke whack. And of course, <laughs> Tales from the Hood is the wokest. So what do you say? I, I will have to agree with you, Jared. I would say um, Demon Knight is the wackest. Um, and Tales from the Hood was the wokest. Um, however, like you said, I do agree with the fact that um, thematically it wasn't on the nose and it did take take risks and it didn't force you to it did force you to to think a little bit further outside of the box, even though it was in a campy, cheesy kind of way, which is very different um, than, say, a, a Night of the Living Dead or a zombie apocalypse sort of movie that just is like kill the de- kill kill the demons, shoot them in the eyes. It, it, it took it a little bit further. Yeah. Um, and so with that, you know, Tales from the Hood, it went there. And sometimes it went a little hard. So sometimes I think it could have been a lot more subtle. So in that same manner, um, it was a little too woke and it could have left some things to chant, meaning let people think. I think um, a lot of black movies do try and force you to give you every single thing. It doesn't allow you time to think. Um, and so it ends up becoming really polarizing. Yeah, it's almost like you're gasping for air after being held, your head held underwater for a long time. Yes. So. Yeah. Um, cool. So can I can I review? I pulled a few reviews off of Letterboxd. Can mm-hmm. we see what some random weirdos out there thought? Yeah, let's do it. So this this one is uh, I have a guy here um, um, named Stephen and Anae. 
that's his uh, screen name there. And what I like about this review is he opens by referring to who I presume is his lover or wife, Jen. So I'll just take it from there. I liked that. So now this is for. I'm quoting a Stephen and and for tales from the hood. hood. Okay, I just wanted to make sure. His thoughts on tales from the hood. Woke up to Jen watching this. Missed the first 10 minutes or so, but I'm still counting it. Simultaneously extremely current and extremely dated. Everything about this is clunky and cheap looking, but it's unapologetic in its politics and aims. Completely unsurprised to see that Spike Lee produce this. He's had it out for David Duke for a long time. Most of the acting in this is terrible, but Clarence William III as the host of the movie in the framing story is delightfully unhinged. So many of Jordan Peele's absurdly intense characters in Key and Peele feel like direct descendants of Williams here. That was a good. That was a pretty good. Um, yeah, I kind of got mad at him at times, there. but I, I kind of was kind of agreed with him on some of those points. I agreed with him on all of those points. I'm not. There's nothing he said that I didn't agree with. That was interesting. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. I, I got to say, I don't mind the dated effects. Some of those, I will take a, a how he put it, uh, a dated, um, clunky and cheap practical effect over bad CGI or even good CGI any day. Well, I do have a problem with daylight in the darkness um, and unmotivated life sources. We didn't get into filmmaking style, uh, Mm -hmm. but, you know, I I let I kept I keep saying time and place. So I allow it. I'm allow it to live for its time Um, in terms of horror. I think it would be totally different. It would look different now. Um, so it didn't stand the test of time, but neither did the Matrix. So what are you going to do? Cool. So then we have a random weirdo uh, named Brian Wallinger uh, checking in on Letterboxd. And he d- did not wake up to Jen watching the movie. He just watched this movie <laughs> motivated entirely by himself. But he watched a Demon Knight. Okay. So let's hear what uh, he thought. Uh, he said uh, Demon Knight is a dark, humored cult horror mo- film based on the previously short-lived but long-since-remembered Tales from the Crypt television series that comes fully equipped with all the trimmings a simple soundstage set designed immersed with a colorful character format plus the impressive practical effects all add up to a campy 1990s classic that remains heavily overlooked and misunderstood it is a film that creates a conception of an illustration long before its time involving a female african-american in a pivotal role of the film played in an early role by jada pinkett smith although she doesn't begin as the film's lead film transitions itself through the character development and then systematically operates itself to kill off those characters leaving only the lead played by William Sadler herself and the film's villain played by a quirky yet charismatic Billy Zane Demon Knight much like the show opens up with a prologue much like the show hosted by the Crypt Keeper voiced by John Casser that sets the tone of the film coming as a film that doesn't try to take itself so seriously knowing that the ideas of it are completely outlandish are they though? No, I don't, I don't know. That seemed like a nice but recap. It, it was a good recap, and um, shout out to Billy Zane. So you know, I was for on, no, not for nothing. I was honestly trying to find bad takes on both these movies. Like I wanted to find someone being racist or just stupid, but they weren't really out there. So I think people in general kind of. Uh, I think the horror think, audience is smart than people get. I was gonna say. It. I think you're right. I think the horror genre understands that it's reflective of a fucked up world, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. so it doesn't bother with the racist epitaphs that you might, you know, the yeah. trolls, the trolls have other things to do. Yeah. They, they're in politics right now. They don't have time for that. And the horror, 
Yeah, horror they, they has the the prejudice in people's minds is horror movies are stupid or exploitative or the audience is kind of dumb and to some extent sci-fi gets that as well. But in general, when, when uh, the horror movies we see, these two movies included, often are just approaching. Um, Important stories, important themes, just from a, a sideway that's often exhilarating, fun, um, and scary. Yeah, I don't. Did you find any of these um, episodes particularly scary? Any parts of the? No, these I was shows? never chilled or thrilled or jumped in my seat. But, no, uh, I appreciate that there's not didn't seem to be jump scares necessarily, but yeah. but th- these kind of both fit in that box of there's a flavor of horror that's the comedy horror that's its own thing. And these kind of both fit in that box more or less. Cool. To me. Cool. So uh, we want to talk about the movies too um, in like a uh, b- uh, below the line discussion, above the line discussion of actually who's behind the camera. Because for me, it's just as important of who's making the movies we consume as to who's in front of the camera. Um, so I ran down, my goal was to run down the IMDb of both of these and see how long it took to get to a, a black person, a woman, or someone who's not a white man. And refreshingly, both of these movies, at least in my quick glance of your IMDb's, you're looking at black writers, black directors. Um, what do you think, what's your take on the cast and crew here? Well, I, I mean, clearly Tales from the Hood, um is a black take on a movie. Um, but this is where we gonna, we're gonna come up against balance, okay? Um, so those, some of those things, uh, we work better sometimes together, right? Okay. So you might not have gotten the harsh takes in Tales from the Hood if you had somebody to balance out. But then again, I, I think Tales from the Hood was great, but um, think about it going forward if you had something different. So uh, Spike Lee being involved is gonna always bring his militancy. Mm-hmm. Um, Darren Scott and uh, the guy who, Red, uh, Rusty, uh, what's his Rusty, name? Rusty, uh, yes. So he was an actor in an earlier film, Half Plenty, that probably most people haven't seen, but he's a very popular, um, he, he went on to become a director after having a shorter uh, acting career. He, he's actually one of the characters in the movie. He plays the teacher, mm-hmm, right, mm-hmm. in the film. But he is a very uh, smart storyteller. Yes. And has been. So I think that to see, and you, you, you know, you don't, he's not somebody that's in the spotlight like a Spike Lee. Um, but he is a very good, interesting storyteller, and he, he, did, he did a good job for for this era. So, I mean, I think we both agree um, that Tales from the Hood is representative behind the scenes, at least at the, at the big names at the top of the bill. Well, no, it does, it's not, actually. No? If you have three black writer, producer, director, executive producer, then it's not representative. So you're saying you'd like to see, even in a film like this, you'd like to see some white no, people No, I don't in think it needs, I don't think, see, I, I'm coming from a different premise, so okay. I don't think a film needs to be representative. Yeah. I think a film needs to be honestly told by the tellers. So you're saying if, like, I was given the script for Tales from the Hood, I can go, could I go direct it and... No. No. I say, I'm saying that you tell your story, let me tell mine. Yes. That's okay. what I'm saying. And so that, and that goes back to who's pulling the purse strings, who has the opportunities. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So no, I don't think it's representative. I understand what we're saying, and I, I 
I'm I'm all about that because you know you could watch Planet of the Apes and I'm sure there isn't a, a black face in sight. Um, well, I'm just offended they don't have orangutans and chimpanzee directing those movies. You know? Yeah. Well, we're why are you bullshitting? <laughs> but I'm just saying that it's it it clearly has a, the a theme. Yes. That suggests right uh, a racial context. Yes. But there's no. You look behind the scenes, which I I was very fascinated with Planet of the Apes, which is why I bring it up. Yes. Um, and so I saw a lot of the behind the scenes, and I was like, Jesus, there's literally no one yeah. <laughs> with a brown face anywhere near this movie, and that that's dis that's disappointing to yes, me. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so, what about um, Tales from the Crypt, Demon Knight? Yes. So Ernest Dickerson directed Demon Knight, which is very fascinating. He's uh, Spike Lee's. Um, go-to cinematographer from his iconic films from Do the Right Thing um, all the way down to Malcolm X. He was, uh, he, he directed Juice, mm -hmm. cult classic. Mm -hmm. um, so he is a wonderful uh, director, filmmaker, um, but let's see who produced this. Hmm. I think it was great that, uh, that this movie didn't it, I, if you watch it, it if you, and you asked me, I would have said a, anyone could have directed it. A woman could have directed it. A Asian man could have yep. directed it. Anybody. So it's good to see that um, it was directed by another protege of uh, Spike Lee, a black man. And so in that case, it is kind of representative, at least. Yeah, um, I guess so. I mean, I think our writers are probably like old Jewish comedians or something. But <laughs> I, I'm just guessing here, but I don't know. I don't know. And yeah. and would you have seen Jada? And C was it CCH Pounder in those um, very iconic roles? If it weren't for Ernest Dickerson, do you think? Yeah, who's to say? There's a parallel universe where um, some honky directed that movie and, <laughs> and pushed it towards oh stereotypical places or, or recast the role with a white person or who knows. So right. we really don't know. And but the. It goes to show that I think we're both for everyone having a shot, everyone being invited to the party and all sorts of stories being told. And Honestly, right? Yeah, honestly. And, and um, black people should be directing movies, but not necessarily just for the quote-unquote black movies. They should just be directing movies. Like, there's no reason a, a black person can't direct Devil's Wears Prada or, or Absolutely. anything else. Well, the, the problem, there is a problem, and it's called spreading out the money, and that is where the problem is. And so Devil Wears Prada means I have a different take in the on the fashion industry than whoever the hell. Yes. You see what I mean? Yeah, so starts you start to change. Movie. Yes, it, it is a different movie because directors um, – meaning if I'm taking the helm, then I'm going to see it from my perspective. And then so my perspective is probably a lot different than the person who actually did. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So if we're done with these movies, we'll take a uh, quick take on uh, an alternate topic sidebar because we both saw the Joker. Hell and, yeah. Um, is Joker a black and white movie? I don't know. You had a thought. I totally think Joker is a black and white movie. We should totally dive into that. So it's a gray movie? I thought it was very representative. And so I think it would be very interesting to dive into the possibility, the potentials. 
it would warrant a, a full episode comparison to a new another movie. But what would be the analog if, let's just say, to fit our premise and say Joker was the white movie, what would be the analog black movie to that? Oh, I have to give a shout out to the homie Anika because she mentioned Malcolm X. Right. So the film uh, Malcolm X. And why, like, I get a question mark, but I kind of see it. Why would that be? Um, Anti-hero. Yeah. That's the first word that comes to mind. Um, Clearly, we know how that movie ended. Um, But let's say he, let's say he didn't. Let's say we were in what if land and Malcolm X wasn't killed. What would the world look like? Right. Right. Yeah. And uh, he was not very revered at his time. It took we 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 reverence him now, mm-hmm. but at the time he was a very controversial character, um, and problematic to both the nation of Islam and uh, pushed out, shunned, uh, ridiculed by black, white, and everybody else. So very by similar society, system, as, yes, as this movie would say, uh-huh. and and on the fringes. Um, and some would say, um, and yeah, very, very disrespected. We, we are very, we reverence Malcolm X right now. Yes. Um, to icon status. He's, Mm -hmm. he is iconic, but he was not iconic in the sixties. He was, uh, probably one of the least liked people. Um, if you learn to hear it from, uh, the black people, you know, who were on the opposite side, who were on the side of civil rights and Martin Luther King, you would hear different, even though during the during that time, they became a lot more closer together yes. in the end. Two tales of two men, both living in society, both um, um, going up against the establishment and the per- perceived ills of establishment, both misunderstood. So yeah, so that those could, we, maybe one day we'll do a, one yeah. day soon we'll do a deep dive on both of those. Um, yeah, and I, I also um, enjoyed Joaquin Phoenix's Joker. To me, it, it read more as the overall theme of the film was more on class, not necessarily black or white. And in that sense, it's almost universal. Well, then you, so I think um, with our premise of the show, we are going to have a hard time finding comparative titles for a lot of the reasons mm-hmm. we kind of spoke about before. Um, the implication of doing a Joker and changing that to a uh, black character uh, means something totally different. Yes. Right? Yeah. And so that is very dangerous. Mm-hmm. Even though this is dangerous, the Joker in suggesting that you should rise up and do something about your place in this society and not accept it. Um, imagine you say that to a bunch of brown people who yes. are actually oppressed. Yeah. That's a problem, right? But I think we both agree clown lives matter, right? So I got to ask you, out of all the jokers we've seen You're on screen, give me trouble. Who, was the, who was the most white joker and who was the most black joker? And I'm going to ask you so I don't get myself into trouble. Huh. Oh, are you scared to have controversy just because you're a white guy? You're not allowed to uh, make uh, observations. Well, it comes naturally to me, so I'm a little more. I feel you. A little more cautious. I I, th- I try to think my thoughts through t- ten steps before I speak. I know, and that's kind of messed up, isn't it? Well, I don't have to. So luckily, um, no. I think the most the most black Joker would probably have to be Jack Nicholson. 
yeah, he was pimp in uh, the he Tim was pimp, movie. He pimp, pimp, pimp. Yeah, he, he wasn't having imaginary girlfriends. He had two women on his arm. Yes, he was. He was. Uh, yes, he, he had that thing. That je ne sais quoi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, swagger. <laughs> I'm gonna um, agree, but I'm gonna also count Prince as a Joker because he had a series of movies with music tied in where he was. He was Joker. his theme song. Was, yeah, jo- for sure. He was Joker or an aspect of Joker. Well, you know, I love me some Prince, so uh, you know, the purple one, homage. Okay, yeah, yeah, no, for sure. So, okay, do I get to choose who's the whitest? Or are you sure. gonna go? Yeah. <laughs> No, you go. Um, I know what you're going to say. And go. Well, I think the easy answer is that you would say that that the Joaquin Phoenix Joker is the most. But I, I, don't. I, didn't, I did not really take it that way myself. I got to say, and I haven't seen Suicide Squad, but I got to say, I feel like it's Jared Leto. He seemed really. Very, very online him or heath ledger honestly heath ledger I, i'm I think gonna, for sure maybe i'll t- talk about heath ledger just because i haven't seen the jared leto one but heath ledger was very he had that sense of um un undeserved privilege and that that he was the badass that the world need to revolve around that a lot of people imbued with white privilege kind of take on that's exactly i think heath ledger uh a personified uh, white privilege in his version of the Joker, which um, was brilliant, actually, um, the way he did it. And uh, because he unapologetically, he was the most sinister. Not So let me, let me, let me reel this back because, you know, some things get held, so, get told in com- context. But if we're talking about white, no, if we're, no, no, I want to make sure I I give a disclaimer because if you're talking about white supremacy, the shit is sinister. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. I'm I'm not talking about white people. I'm talking about a a trope or a thing, Mm -hmm. a a position, positionality. I think white supremacy is evil. So for him to be um, so brazenly and kill with impunity, um, I, I definitely would hold him. I think that uh, Joker's character ended up killing for a reason, which if, if there is a reason to kill, he probably had more of a, you know, you had an attachment to his death cycle yes. than you did with Heath Ledger, yeah. which was indiscriminate to me. Yeah, Anarchine- anarchistic and without yes. reason That's other a than different... watching the world burn. Like, yes. white supremacy wants to watch the world burn. Yes, because they don't have their way, yes. for sure, right? Exactly. So that that is the difference to me. So um, Jared Leto was kind of character to me. So I, I saw Suicide Squad, which I thought I enjoyed a lot, but he was more of a character of the Joker than the Joker. He was a, a person playing mm. the Joker mm. as opposed to being the Joker. I think Heath and uh, Joaquin decided they were going to be the Joker. Um, that is the difference. Yeah. Even 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 Jack Nicholson, to even though, you know, his his 
was charactered as well. But I think that campy version of Batman yeah. uh, called for that. So yeah. no disrespect there. And I'm going to just tip the hat while we wrap up the Joker talk to Cesar Romero, who was an actual POC. He was, and he was the Joker. So <laughs> the fuck is that POC? You know, you know, he was a POC. He was a, a Latin lover, uh, Joker. Um, why can't he just be Latin? Why does he, why, what is this? Let's, can we, okay, wait, wait, wait. Hold on, day. hold you're on. Right, you're right, you're right. We're done with the people well, of color. The on this podcast, we what? are not going to call anybody people of color. <laughs> there are no people thing, of color. We're going to call him Latin. Okay, he was a, he was a Latinx person. Okay, well, what yeah. is a Latinx? Latinx is the preferred nomenclature of today. Oh, he was a he was a Latin person. He was a Hispanic man. It, was he Latin or Hispanic? What is it? I don't I don't I don't even know his country of origin. But he was he was the Joker. He was in he was in performative white face green hair. Okay. Uh, yeah. So and then so if you want to tell us what you thought about these movies and if you want to cancel me, uh, find us out online. We are on Twitter, I assume, at Black and White Movies, although that may be taken. Yeah, we haven't even set up you can go to us yet, directly. What's your Twitter handle? Oh, I'm Velcro Fathoms on Twitter. Um, I think I am at a peachy dream. Um, yeah. A peachy dream. That's right. Okay. A peachy dream. A peachy dream. And we'll have uh, links to any other as we get more online as uh, the next. What's our next episode that we'll be talking about? I think we're going to tackle Bridesmaids and The Best Man. Yeah, cool. So look out for that and check with us, in with us and tell us what movies you think we should be, what black and white movies we should be talking about. And, um, and, and join the conversation with us on, on all of our, wherever you find us online. So thanks for uh, talking to me today, Danielle, about these movies. Thanks for talking to me. And enjoy your time at the movies and don't forget the popcorn. Evil lurks in the mind of a madman. I have to call Spice One to put in work. Yeah, straight motherfucking East Bay killing the house. Spice motherfucking One.